Next, we will study the second foundational prophecy, the Olivet Discourse of Jesus, which builds on the foundation of Daniel's 70 weeks. This is in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. You have to harmonize all three of these gospel accounts to get the full teaching Jesus gave. The background of the prophecy is the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah by the leaders of Israel. In Matthew 23, Jesus pronounced judgment on Israel for this, concluding with verse 38 where he says to them, Behold, your house, the temple, is left to you desolate, for I say to you, leaders of Israel, from now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says he's departing from Israel because they rejected him, but promises that he will return to Israel when her leaders welcome him as the Messiah. Then in Matthew 24, 1, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. This was a symbolic action. The glory of God was leaving the temple, making its destruction sure. Verse 1 continues, And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Not understanding what he was doing, they were trying to cheer him up by pointing out the majesty of the temple. And it was one of the wonders of the world, since Herod had beautified it. In verse 2, Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. This amazing prophecy was literally fulfilled 37 years later when the Romans destroyed the temple in AD 70. Today, not one stone remains on the Temple Mount, and you can even see the stones that were thrown down onto the street below. Why? Such a complete destruction is unusual. First, the Romans were so mad at the rebellious Jews that they wanted to punish them by not leaving a trace of the temple. Also, there was so much gold in the temple which melted in the fire and went into all the cracks between the stones that, that they had to take it apart stone by stone to extract all the gold. So the context of the prophecy is Israel's rejection of Christ and its consequences for Israel. His prophecy expounds what would happen as a result, both for that generation and for the generation at the end of the age. Just as in Daniel's 70 weeks, Jesus describes two future periods of judgment. First, the Jewish war of AD 66 to 73 when the temple was destroyed, and then the tribulation when the Antichrist puts his abomination in a rebuilt temple. His prophecy of the destruction of the temple provokes three questions from his disciples, and the whole prophetic discourse is Jesus' answer to these three questions. So this provides the whole structure of the talk. Verse 3 says, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, first, when will these things happen? And second, what will be the sign of your coming? And third, and the sign of the end of the age? We will see that as we go through the prophecy, Jesus answers these three questions in order. The first question, tell us when these things hap will happen, refers to the destruction of the temple, which he had just been talking about. Now in Luke 21 verse 7, he adds, and what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? Now the key word in all these questions is sign. They asked for the signs that will come before each of these three distinct events. Knowing the signs that come before the main event helps you prepare for it. So Jesus answered these three questions in order, giving three sets of sign. Jesus answered the first question, which was, what is the sign that the temple is about to be destroyed? He answered that in Luke 21, verse 20 onwards. He said, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her des desolation is near. 
something you see is a sign. So the sign was Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Then they would know that the, the destruction of the temple was coming soon. In Luke 21, 21, he gave his recommended course of action. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city. It would seem that sign was not very helpful, because for those in Jerusalem it would have been too late to escape. How can they escape if Jerusalem is surrounded by armies? However, this sign did save the lives of the whole Christian community in, in Jerusalem. This actually happened early in the Jewish war with Rome, when the Romans besieged Jerusalem in AD 67. But it was poorly planned siege, as their supply lines were too weak to maintain it. So the Romans retreated back to Caesarea. Now this early victory gave the Jews a false confidence, but the Christians knew it was Jesus' warning sign, and knowing that they escaped in AD 68 to the safety of Pella in Jordan. Soon after, the Romans returned and destroyed the city and the temple in AD 70, just as Jesus predicted. Verse 22 and 23, Jesus explained, Because these are days of vengeance, or judgment, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress on the land and wrath or judgment to this people. Jesus said that the Romans were instruments of judgment on Israel. The reason was her rejection of the Messiah. Moreover, he pointed out that it would be a fulfillment of prophecy. He's talking, of course, about Daniel's 70 weeks, because Dan Daniel 9.26 predicts that after the Messiah's sacrificial death, the people of the prince to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood, which is a symbol for an invading army. Even to the end there'll be war. Desolations or judgments are determined. Jesus continued in verse 24, Luke 21:24, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive unto all the nations, and Jerusalem will, will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And this was fulfilled. Israel was scattered to the nations, and Jerusalem came under Gentile dominion. But notice it will not be forever, but only until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Thus, as a discipline on Israel, God measured out a certain set time of Gentile dominion over Jerusalem. And when this is over, Israel will be restored again as a nation in her land and regain control of Jerusalem. This also has been fulfilled in 1948 by the rebirth of Israel as a nation, and then in 1967 by the recapture of historic Jerusalem. Thus the times of the Gentiles have now been fulfilled, signifying that we are now surely living in the end times. Later in this prophecy, Jesus confirms that this restoration of Israel is the key sign that we're living in the last of the last days. Having answered the first question, Jesus now moved on to the second question, which was, what will be the sign of your coming? This is talking about his second coming. In other words, how can we know when you are about to return in power and glory to establish your kingdom? What events will lead up to your coming? And Jesus answered question, question 2 in Matthew 24, 7-31, where he gave the succession of events in the tribulation leading up to the second coming. The tribulation is a unique period of time just before his return, so all the special events of the tribulation constitute the signs of the second coming. So Jesus gave the signs of the second coming by describing what will happen at the start, at the middle, and at the end of the tribulation, and he did that in turn. But first, in 
Matthew 24, 4-6, he told them what wouldn't be the signs of the second coming by giving the general characteristics of this present church age. In verse 4, he says, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will mislead many. And you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. In other words, these are not the signs of the end. The word for end here is telos, which means the final end point, which in this context is the second coming. Its use here and in later verses confirms that Jesus is answering question too. So false messiahs, false religions, conflict and wars will continue throughout the church age, but these are not signs that the second coming is about to happen. Then, having given what are not the signs of the end, Jesus then gave what are the signs of the end by describing the tribulation. By saying, but that is not yet the end, in verse 6, he's signalling the point where he turns from what are not the signs of the end to what are actually the signs of the second coming. So in verse 7 and 8, Jesus describes what are the signs of the second coming. He describes the start of the tribulation as the onset of birth pains. For... When the tribulation actually begins, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. The start of the time of birth pains is the beginning of the tribulation. The baby to be born is the kingdom of God on earth. Birth pains are the result of sin resisting the birth. Thus the tribulation is a special time when the kingdom is forcing itself on the earth, thus it is a time of judgments. This sets up a time of increasing disturbances and troubles, which are the birth pains, which come to a climax at the birth, when the baby is manifested. Thus the birth pains of the tribulation will intensify until the kingdom is manifested at the second coming of Christ. Thus the start of the tribulation is marked by convulsions in every realm of life, which suddenly all start to happen together and continue to its end, growing in intensity, just like birth pains. This is the sudden destruction that 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 and 3 talk about. It says, You know perfectly that the day of the Lord, the tribulation, so comes as a thief in the night. That's the rapture. For when they, the unbelievers, say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them but not on the church, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. They shall not escape because the labor pains of the tribulation will cover the whole earth. Jesus' description of the onset of labor pains is parallel to John's description of the start of the tribulation in Revelation 6, when the scroll with seven seals starts to be opened. The seals or birth pains are not one-off events, but describe the disruption that happens in that realm of life throughout the whole earth, which continues throughout the tribulation and increases in intensity until the end of the tribulation. The first labor pain mentioned by Jesus is war on a worldwide scale, and that's in verse 7. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This is a Hebrew idiom that denotes world war. So the tribulation will start with worldwide conflict. This corresponds to the first two horsemen of the apocalypse. The first seal releases the rider on the white horse, the Antichrist, who goes forth to conquer. 
and this in turn releases world war and bloodshed on a greater scale than ever before, described by the second seal, which releases the rider on the red horse. The second labor pain mentioned by Jesus in verse 7 is worldwide famine. It says that in various places there will be famines. This corresponds to the third seal, the rider on a black horse in Revelation 6. This includes disruption of the whole economic system on a worldwide scale. The third labor pain in, in Matthew 24, 7 is pestilences in various places. Again, this is on a global scale and not just local. This corresponds to the fourth seal, the rider on the pale horse. One in four are killed by fighting disease and hunger in just a few years. That's over one billion people. So the tribulation will be far worse than anything that the world has seen so far. The next labor pain is described in Matthew 24, 9-12. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So there will be a great release of evil manifested in great religious deception, lawlessness and worldwide persecution of believers, which corresponds to the fifth seal, where the tribulation martyrs are seen in heaven. Then in Matthew 24:13, Jesus gave a word of encouragement that these conditions will not prevail forever, for he will bring the tribulation to its end by his second coming. He says, but he who endures to the end that's the end of the tribulation, will be saved. That's by Christ's return. This confirms that these conditions will continue to the end of the tribulation, but Christ will not allow evil to totally destroy the earth. He will save the true believers by his return. Although evil will come to its fullness, there will be a remnant of those who stay true to God through it all. The next labor pain is described as earthquakes in various places. This speaks of convulsions of nature all over the world. And Luke 21.11 speaks of terrors and great signs from heaven. And Luke 21.25 says, There'll be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear at the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And this speaks of a worldwide disruption of nature, both on earth below and in the heavens above, which agrees perfectly with the sixth seal in Revelation 6, 12-17. Although the description in Revelation 6 describes the convulsions of nature at their most intense, just before the second coming, by the nature of birth pains we expect these things to begin happening from the very start of the tribulation and then intensify to their climax. The seals in Revelation 6 reveal the massive scale of the destruction well beyond anything that's happened before. These things will happen suddenly and altogether at the start of the tribulation and continue to its end in such a way that previous catastrophes will seem minor in comparison. The world is used to local wars, local famines, local earthquakes, but in the tribulation these will break out altogether on a worldwide scale far beyond anything seen before. We might think terrible things have happened in history, but that's just like a woman in the middle of her pregnancy having a few aches and pains. It's nothing compared to the birth pains when they suddenly hit. Figures in the book of Revelation indicate that over half the world population will perish in the few years of the tribulation, marking it out as a unique time. 
just as a woman knows when the birth pains come, so the tribulation will start in a very dramatic way, and it will be on a global scale. The onset of these birth pains constitute the first sign of the end, that is, the second coming of Christ. In verse 14, Jesus tells us, In the midst of all these birth pains, God will be fulfilling his purpose of saving as many as possible. He said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. There will be a worldwide preaching of the gospel in the tribulation, initiated by the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and the two witnesses, resulting in a wonderful soul harvest. And this is the subject of Revelation 7. When all the Christians disappear in the rapture, many will suddenly realize that they were right, that we were right. So many will get saved early in the tribulation and the gospel will be preached in all the world. There's a similar verse in Mark 13:10. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. However, this verse is talking about evangelism in the church age. So in the church age, the gospel will go into all the nations and then also in the tribulation. Having given the signs that will happen at the start of the tribulation, that's the birth pains, Jesus then gave the special signs at the middle of the tribulation and then at its end. Let's look now at the middle. Next in Matthew 24:15, Jesus revealed the sign of being at the middle of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Jesus is again referring us to Daniel 70 weeks, where Daniel 9.27 tells us that in the middle of the 70th week, the Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel and will set up the abomination of desolation in the temple. This will happen three and a half years before the end. So it's a sign of the end. Then, in verse 16, Jesus told the, the believing Jews what they should do when they see this sign. Then, that is, when you see the abomination, those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Many in Israel and around the world will become believers in the first half of the tribulation, and God will provide the believing remnant of Israel a short window of opportunity to escape from the Antichrist. And they will flee to a place of safety in the mountains of Jordan. This is pictured in Revelation 12 by the woman fleeing from the dragon to the wilderness where she will be kept safe for three and a half years. In verse 21, Jesus explained why it was imperative that they flee. He says, for then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. Whereas the seven years is the tribulation, the second half of the tribulation is called the great tribulation. And these three and a half years are the worst time in history, much worse than the first three and a half years. This is when Antichrist becomes world dictator and brings in the mark of the beast. Matthew twenty four twenty two, Jesus explains how bad it will get. He said, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. This means that unless the Lord brings the tribulation to its end by his personal return, all life on earth would be destroyed. From the context, the elect must primarily refer to Israel. The agenda of Satan and the Antichrist is to annihilate Israel and so prevent the Lord from establishing his kingdom on earth. If Israel is destroyed, God's word would be broken and Satan would win, but that's impossible. This is why Antichrist gathers all the nations of the world to Israel for the Battle of Armageddon. 
Matthew 24:22 tells us that Jesus will return for the sake of Israel, the elect nation, to save her, because she will be on the brink of total destruction at Armageddon. Earlier in the Olivet Discourse, we saw that Jesus predicted that Israel would be scattered to the nations, but he also predicted her restoration as a nation in the land. In Luke 21:24, and that's been fulfilled in recent history. This initial regathering of Israel from the nations must happen before the tribulation. For immediately after Jesus spoke about the end of the times of the Gentiles in Luke 21:24, he described the tribulation in the next verses. Also, Daniel 9:27 tells us that Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel near the start of the tribulation, and that requires Israel to be a nation again. This is further confirmed by Jesus' words in Matthew 24:15-21, that gave guidance to Israel what to do at mid-tribulation. Also, many other prophecies of the tribulation assume that Israel is back in the land. Therefore, the rebirth of Israel as a nation is a major sign that we are living near the end of the age. The stage has been set for the last act of the great prophetic drama. Next, Jesus described the final signs near the end of the tribulation, just before his second coming. First, in verse 23 to 26, he described some wrong ideas about his second coming. It will not be like his first coming when he came as a prophet doing miracles. Anyone claiming to be the Christ will be a false Christ. And anyone claiming to be a prophet pointing people to some so-called Messiah living on the earth is a false prophet, he says. In verse 27, Jesus explains that when he returns, he will come in his power and glory. So you won't need anyone to tell you that he's come. Everyone will know it. Every eye will see him. He said, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 28, he then describes where and when he will return. He said, wherever the carcass is, there the vultures will gather. This is a reference to the Battle of Armageddon. The carcass is Israel. The gathering vultures are all the armies of the world that will be gathered by the Antichrist to consume the carcass. Thus, since Christ will return to save his elect nation Israel, he will return to where the vultures have all gathered to eat her carcass, the land of Israel. Israel will seem to be doomed, but she will be calling on Jesus to save her, and he will come and destroy these armies and deliver Israel. That's why Jesus doesn't return to London, New York, or Brisbane, but to Jerusalem, Israel. Thus another sign that his coming is near will be the gathering of a massive multinational force to invade and totally destroy Israel. The next sign, two days before his coming, is a total blackout of the sun, moon, and stars. Verse 29 says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall or disappear from the sky. He's going to turn off all the lights of the universe. It's as if all the created lights will bow their heads in humble submission as the true uncreated light is about to make his entrance. On that great and awesome day, only his glory will shine and be revealed. He alone will be glorified. On that day, the only light source will be the glory of God shining forth from Christ. And this verse also adds, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The next sign is the shaking of the universe. When the Lion of Judah comes out of heaven, he's going to roar with a mighty battle cry, and the whole universe is going to shake. 
Then the final sign, coming immediately before his personal appearance, is a manifestation of his Shekinah glory, the banner of his invading army. Matthew 24.30 says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear, or shine forth. It will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will all see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And this completes the sequence of signs leading up to his second coming. Many of these signs were revealed by the Old Testament prophets, especially Joel. Joel 2, 10 and 11 says, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible or awesome, and who can abide it? This is the Lord's army coming from heaven. Revelation 19 shows Jesus riding a white horse with his army behind him on horses and will be part of this army coming from heaven to earth. When an army goes into battle, it gives a great shout and the Lord's shout will shake the heavens and the earth and this will be one sign of the approaching heavenly army. Then Joel 2.31 says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And here we see the same two signs in the heavens that happened on the day of the cross, that they will happen again just before his second coming. And the reason for this, repeat, is that the 70th week is rerun. This time the signs must be in reverse order. First the moon will turn to blood, which will signify Israel's repentance when she puts her faith in the blood of Jesus. Then the sun will be turned to darkness, signifying that the Lord is about to come to judge the earth. In both cases, the moon turning to blood represents the redemption of God's people, and the sun turning to darkness represents judgment. In the first case, it was the Son of God who was judged for our sins, but in the second case, the Son of God will judge those who dwell on the earth. Joel 3, 15 and 16 says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the, suns and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. He's coming to save Israel, you see, because by this point Israel is calling upon him to save her. Jesus concluded this section in verse 31, which describes what he'll do next. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. This is one of the great themes of Bible prophecy. As well as the initial partial regathering before the tribulation, with Israel in unbelief, when the Messiah returns, there will be a complete and final regathering with Israel now in faith. This is the subject of a number of Old Testament prophecies which use exactly the same language as Jesus did in Matthew 24:31. Again, Isaiah 11, 11 and 12 says, On that day, when the Lord returns to establish his earthly kingdom, the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain. And he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And we also see this in Zechariah 10, 8-10. So it was prophesied in the Old Testament using exactly the same language that when the Messiah returns he will blow a trumpet to call his elect nation Israel to gather them back to the land. <laughs>